Today is April 24th, 2023. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestokom, Oki, or Dakotes Nagotine Siku. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe. So uh, that's in Treaty 11. Um, yeah, we. I feel really connected to that today out of all days because my family buried my grandfather. And uh, last night when my family was traveling from Yellowknife to Edmonton and to Calgary, you know, they um, and, and my other uncle and auntie flew in. I, I just feel really connected. And then to have all this, you know, the northern lights everywhere, I uh, just felt like they were help guiding my family. I'm totally speaking out of turn there. I'm sure they feel differently, but it just was a really, uh, we have a messenger. We were all talking to each other and it was just wonderful seeing everybody get home safe after burying my grandpa way up in Yellowknife. So anyway, my people wore rabbit skin. It's been referred to the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tine Indehe in Satu Dene. Oh, geez, I didn't expect to get upset about it. I didn't actually know my grandfather at all. So please, any condolences, no, just redirect that to my family. Um, so in Satudene, Calgary means uh, many big dog town, Clincho Tine Indehe, and it was named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name that has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. And I want to say thank you to Gerald Anton uh, Grand Chief for saying uh, kind words of condolences to my family. Um, through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post Status Card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights, Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the socio-economic ladder in Canada because of imposed colonial trauma, poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk this red road, which I've seen other Natives making fun of using that terminology, so I'm going to think about how to reframe that then. <laughs> As a Dene woman who attempted to run, joined harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, thank you folks for help uh, getting me to the newest one, um, left my home to travel to those conventions, next week I leave, uh, just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration, a denial of justice, I'll be advocating for justice reform, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples. I have worked to continue reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today and hope we honor the many Indigenous lives lost for the so-called country named Canada. I hope you see a role in the importance of stopping harm and as a citizen see a role in reconciliation as an ad and as a treaty partner. Um, I'll just say I was at a wonderful drag event last night and people called themselves visitors. I'd love to see people understand they are treaty partner and as a treaty partner they can actually um, 
uphold what Canada signed to, even though Canada sucks at it. So anyway, Pride Month should never be just one month. It is important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on this land by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important they have meaning. I encourage all folks to introduce themselves with an acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement, so we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you won't pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, won't say your pronouns, your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, imposed economic oppression, your role in reconciliation. I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101, because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in schools nationally and in media. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. And for folks who listened before, I never seen a change in at CTV's uh, write up about using that terminology. So that's really up to you, folks. If you're OK with racism, give her. Uh, Jesse Wente's book, Unreconciled, is a great book to explain a lot of these concepts, as are many Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, and it would be a part of treaty partnership, meaningful reconciliation, and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I honor the Blackfoot and the elders and members of Inkind to me on my uh, journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my name in Satudene. My humblest apologies to the language keepers and elders as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gainai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations of the Stony, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to thank all my previous donors for showing your support. Um, I, I, I think it's really critical. Uh, Settler Saturday, I tried to do some more education on that, and I, I appreciate folks who understand the gravity of these oppression dynamics so thank you um if you cannot afford to give i would love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions also giving a review helps on whatever medium you're listening from and i know it's not that hard because the trekker convoys somehow figured it out and i don't have a lot of hopes for where they're coming from um i also have a youtube channel that you can go and subscribe go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast and pin posts on social media and I'm really honored to have Colin May would join us today would you like to introduce yourself in your way okay thank you so much Michelle um so I am uh, Colin May and right now I'm currently uh here in Calgary on what is Treaty 7 land and I consider myself uh, a treaty partner 
Um, I'm I'm so honored to be here, uh, Michelle, with you. Um, as as you know, I was uh, for a couple months, anyhow, Alberta's chief of the Alberta Human Rights Commission and uh, Tribunals, um, and uh, was publicly removed from that position. But before getting into all that, um, I'd like to talk about just a little bit of who I am and my background. So I grew up uh, in southern Alberta and uh, on a farm in southern Alberta, southwest of Claire's home. Um, I, uh, my, my grandparents, great-grandparents came here as settlers from the United States, from uh, Russia, uh, being Volga Germans, and uh, came to, to uh, these lands and in the early 1900s and uh, my only connection I would say you know I, I, I mean there's what with indigenous culture I feel is was my great-grandmother when she came here from Montana lived on the uh, Pekinese Reserve and she learned to speak the language uh, so for, for her entire life uh, she was a speaker of uh, Pekinese um, and that's how I understand it's pronounced that's how I was Taught, so I'm hoping that that's correct or close. I apologize for still needing to also learn some of these these terms. Well, I'll teach um, you real quick, and okay, it was taught perfect. to me by a member. So mm -hmm. it's B as in buzz, B mm -hmm. gun, B gun, and then knee, knee, yeah. be gun knee, be gun knee, okay, be gun knee, be gun knee, be gun knee. Thanks, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. Um. I uh. So when I after I left the farm, I was you know, 18 years old. I went off to university at the University of Alberta, achieved, uh, finished my BA there, my Bachelor of Arts uh, in Political Science. Uh, I then went off to Harvard in Boston, uh, where I was, obtained a Master of Theological Studies degree. Um, most of what I studied at the time was medieval uh, Islamic, Jewish, and Christian political philosophy. And uh, then spent another couple of years at Boston College working on a PhD. Um, unfortunately, my advisor at the time passed away, so I ended up moving to uh, Switzerland. I spent five and a half years in Geneva, where I worked for the United Nations and uh, the International Committee of the Red Cross. Uh, and my work at the International Committee of the Red Cross, which was three, almost three years, um, involved me working in fundraising uh, for the various uh, missions uh, across the world. And usually what I had to do was just uh, provide reports to uh, the European Commission Humanitarian Office because they provided with some of our funding. So I was a report writer. Uh, so I had a pretty good knowledge of many of our missions and what was going on. And of course the International Community of the Red Cross deals specifically with internally displaced persons. So those are people who have been displaced by violence uh, uh, or discrimination uh, in their home countries. They haven't crossed a border, they remain in their home country. Um, after that, I so went to Paris. I have a question for you that I'm not, you don't sure. have to answer right now, but later. When and if do you think the UN community will ever notice that we as Indigenous people in Canada have been displaced and relocated and mistreated and malnourished? Anyway, that's another conversation <laughs> later, if and when we tackle into it, but I just want to throw that at you. Well, that's no, that's an interesting question, yeah, um, because. Uh, and of course, what's what's also interesting about it, and this is something that came up when I was chief of the Human Rights Commission, um, is that many of the borders of, of the Indigenous peoples are not the borders that we have here either. So they've been displaced within their own borders, but they're actually in a different country now. So that that's an element that I think that applies too, that we tend to forget. Uh, certainly the Blackfoot are... are 
you know, cross the border that our border that we put in. So that's something I think that's often forgotten. Um, but that's a good question. Um, and after I was at the UN Red Cross, I went to, I did go to Paris. I did a, a it's called a Diplôme d'Etudes Approfondies, another degree there. Uh, most of what I studied was, uh, my, my main interest was on the political form and the implications of the political form. So whether that's city-states, empires, nation-states uh, for politics. Um, I also did some studies on, uh, some, on uh, integration of immigrant communities, especially into UK and French uh, society. After that, came back to Canada, eventually made my way to Dalhousie Law School, got my law degree, um, and went on to uh, practice law here in Calgary. I articled in Calgary in 2009, was called to the bar in 2010, so I've been a lawyer for now, coming up 13 years. Um, during that time, uh, I did a lot of corporate work, corporate governance work, uh, state administration, but I also got into, um, and not really because I wanted to, but uh, because you know, events happen. Uh, in 2017, my father passed away uh, in care and it involves a number of uh, problems. Uh, there was a number of problems with his care, but there was a number of problems also with um, how the palliation and uh, how we were treated as a family. Uh, which in, in the end, long story short, involved my father being given what appears to be was a drug that he shouldn't have had, uh, left him in, in a coma or unresponsive state for seven days, not being treated, uh, finally aspirated, uh, developed pneumonia, was passing away. Uh, palliation was also a failed, was not done properly. Um, and uh, my sister, who was a palliative RN, was actually then uh, to cover up for some of their failures, the health system blamed her for them. Uh, and she was investigated by her own professional regulator for eight months, resulting in uh, 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 indications of complex PTSD. Oh. And she was off work for 16 months because of that. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, I've become fairly active through the help of the Alberta's former uh, uh, health advocate. Uh, mm. I've become fairly active in uh, patient safety. Uh, and But what I've really focused on is the trauma that's caused to people uh, in healthcare, not because necessarily because of the initial harm that might be done to them because there's, you know, some, there's a, a mistake made or something, mm. um, but because of how they're then treated afterwards by a system that often doesn't want to give them, tell them what happened or uh, reveal the, tr the true nature of the harm that was done originally, which produces a sort of secondary harm, uh, a secondary trauma. And that's my main interest. And specifically, so what I'm, I've become quite involved in, and I, I've advocated for health professionals uh, who have been similar to my sister, uh, brought forward by a regulator under inappropriate circumstances. And uh, I have to say also, I have worked though with these regulators, um, you know, and I have to give full credit to our nurses here in Alberta and their regulator, uh, the College and Association of Registered Nurses of Alberta, which has now dropped the association element. Mm -hmm. uh, and their CEO, she worked with us once she became aware of what had happened mm -hmm. and it was resolved. 
um, she was very engaged in trying to improve uh, and reform their process. Uh, she brought an individual over from the UK who's an expert in that area mm -hmm. and um, did a lot of work to make things better. And eventually, I, because of my work, uh, I was asked, the, uh, the CEO of the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta asked the minister at the time, the health minister, who was Tyler Shandro, <laughs> uh, that I be appointed to um, the uh, Provincial Council of the College of Physicians and Surgeons because of my background and my work. And of course I was. Um, and so that's become a huge part of who I am. It's a huge part of why I was interested in being involved with the Alberta Human Rights Commission. And it was a huge part in, in why I wanted to become chief when the, when the position came open. Uh, and of course I had committed while I was chief to working with specifically uh, one of the areas I'm working in, two of them really are elder, uh, elder care, equity for elders, elderly patients and equity for indigenous patients mm -hmm. and of course in that regard I um, I became involved with another one of your guests uh, Corey Ashley who has uh, said I'm he's happy to have me talk about his situation um, and I came across Corey in early 2021 um, uh, just be an APTN news story yeah uh, Corey's wife of course Lillian Benass who uh, was Ojibwe uh, and living here in Alberta, uh, was uh, unfortunately passed away at the age of 40 uh, in a health center here in Alberta. And what struck me about what I saw was that, of course, she was 40 years old. Here you had a, a, a thriving, happy woman in a, in a caring relationship, an Indigenous woman. And you know, not to prejudge anything, there will be a public inquiry that's going to be taking place, but uh, all indications are that she was denied health care, that she could have been saved, except that she, it was assumed she was drug seeking. Yeah. As an Indigenous woman, she, that was the assumption. Um, I reached out to Corey through APTN after I saw the story about him. Um, he had mentioned that, of course, at the time he had spoken to some lawyers, but was not getting very far. Um, and Corey has led a fight. Uh, I've been hopeful hopefully helpful to him through that fight. <laughs> I mean, I, I represented him as a lawyer in certain respects and then simply as, as somebody, as a supporter, uh, as he went through many of the complaints processes, uh, some more fruitful than others. But um, for me, that's been a key thing. And that's why I'm so happy to be here talking with you. Um, you know, people may wonder why am I suddenly talking after all that happened to me, but I wanted to go through what I've been doing uh, in other areas and why I'm so dedicated to being here with you. Um, and I, why I think it's so important that you have, you've had Corey on, you know, I've seen you, another person I've seen you in, uh, have on is Marilyn North Pagan, who's uh, I think did a wonderful job speaking about her experience as a one-time candidate for the New Democratic Party. Um, so that's a bit of who I am. I also should say I live with my, I am an openly gay man. I was like, as far as I know, I'm the first openly uh, open member of the 2S LGBTQ plus community to have served as chief of the Alberta Human Rights Commission. And I live here in Calgary with my partner of 10 years. Um, so, and I also do want to say, I, I, you know, having heard what, about your grandfather, my condolences to you and your family. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we talk a lot about death here, don't we? But we do. You know, it's funny because, um, you know, for a lot of people, that's such a big deal. And it's like, you know, tell me we live in different worlds, right? Like, because it's so 
it happens so often in the indigenous community because of mm-hmm. poor health, because of imposed economic oppression, all these things. And it's like, yeah, we die. That's why we call it a genocide. And people who are non-native or, you know, they'll be like, well, maybe you should have a trigger warning. I'm like, my freaking life is because of Canadians. So I can't make this simpler. <laughs> you know, we, um, so yeah. at the time that this will air, the red dress events will have happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though I was encouraging them in my other podcasts, I, I don't know how many people will actually see themselves as, you know, this is my job to attend. And, you know, I've talked to uh, people and they were like, well, I reached out to, you know, so-and-so of the community. And I'm like, how many times do you reach out to a veteran? And then unless you get a conversation going with them, you won't show up to in a Remembrance Day ceremony, right? Like the double standard yes. in Canada is just so insane. And, and, and I don't use that glibly or in an ableist way. Like it literally is. There's so much anti-Indigenous bias, unless I personally reach out to somebody and say, can you please come? Then then they'll attend. And even mm-hmm. then they won't attend. So like it, it's mm-hmm. insulting. And, and here we are talking about very serious issues of uh, Lillian and Corey and what they're like. She was she's murdered by the system. Mm-hmm. And there's no real implementation. Like I've, I've seen a doctor, a well-known Alberta doctor, leave the system. He's open and honest on all of his Twitter about what happened with AHS. And everybody is just conveniently looking over here. And I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, the anti-Indigenous bias that's in this province is so overwhelming. I just, some days I'm like, I don't even know who's listening to this because it's clearly my listeners aren't doing anything, but it's just that the system is so big and mm-hmm. there's so much reform that needs to be done. So why don't you tell me a little bit from your point of view um, some wins that you had and maybe some losses and some things that you want to really, you know, get into. Well, um, some wins I've had uh, would be, of course, the work I did with Karna, which is now CRNA. And again, I have to give full credit to the current CEO, Joy Peacock. Um, she took this on. Um, it's not easy. Um, and what she did was she brought over a fellow from the United Kingdom who is an expert in uh, complaints, processes, professional discipline, uh, that sort of thing. And he's done a number of reviews of other uh, bodies uh, in professional regulators in uh, Canada. And so she brought him in, he'd done some work in BC and um, he made some recommendations uh, about how, even about how the complaints process would work. One of the things he noted was that there are far too many avenues in a way that people have to uh, go down. Um, They're required to make complaints (laughs) to a whole plethora of bodies from Alberta Health Services to the professional regulators to protection for persons in care. Um, And, you know, he said this is this is problematic. So the win, though, was that Karna, one of the things that Karna was, it was a regulator in an association. So it was both the advocate for the profession and it's regulated, which is an inherent conflict um and but they they decided to uh split that up that was that was done by by the karna um and uh they moved forward with some other reforms uh joy peacock invited me to speak to the council uh, on our experiences and so i was happy to do that um and you know other wins that i've had and of course you know you know 
people may know that I'm involved in litigation right now with the government. Um, and of course, that means in some, to some respects, Tyler Shandro, the current justice minister. But I have to say, you know, and you got to give credit where credit was due. Um, he did he did respond to some of the issues that had come up in my family situation. Um, and he had he brought in some reforms. Now, obviously, there's many of the things he's done that have been controversial, but um, he I have to give him credit. He did uh, bring in some reforms uh, and did uh, commission the Health Quality Council of Alberta to review the entire complaints process across healthcare. So that's AHS's internal process to professional regulators, to protection persons in care, and to make some changes. I was interviewed by them for that for the report, the report has been done. Uh, at this point, I'm not really sure where it's at. I'm not in much, in a lot of communication with the government except through my lawyer right now. Sure. But uh, he certainly did that. I, I have to give him credit for that. I know he gets- Do you think uh, that will be a public uh, report or will that be internalized? Um, I'm not sure at this point. I, I think it actually may be public already. You may be able to go to the Health Quality Council of Alberta and see if, if it's public. Um, if not, uh, then just ask them if when it might become public, or at least the response to it. Um, and I think this is, you know, this is an important thing. We have an election coming up, and things like these these reforms are important. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, um, there's other pro provinces in Canada that are models for this. British Columbia made some significant changes, uh, and I'm working with a group uh, that is based out of British Columbia to continue making changes to improve transparency and accountability so that when uh, complaints are made and investigations are carried out, that the uh, entirety of the result of that investigation is made known to the patients and the families who've been harmed. And I think that really, you know, that, that dovetails well with the work I want to do and I see as my reconciliation work is in health equity for Indigenous Albertans. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, there was a recent report out of the U University of Alberta, and this is, this is the specific area where I'm really interested. There was a recent report of the U of A that said that, and, th and this is just a small thing, but it should speak to, it should speak volume, it seems to me. It's a small thing. Indigenous people reported that they would get dressed up to go to emergency because they're afraid that if they're not looking really just all together and everything looking right, that they will, it will be assumed they are using alcohol, they're using substances, they are drug seeking. You know, no, I never do that. Yeah, I know. I never get dressed up to go to emergency. I feel terrible and I look terrible. Yeah. But the fact that you have to go through that just speaks volumes about where healthcare is at. Yeah. And it's a small thing. And so for me, just some of the changes that could be made in emergency, um, when you have a situation like Lillian went through, um, just some small changes could be made to catch those mistakes. And, you know, okay, so you made a wrong assumption first, but put something in place, an objective uh, requirement that would let you somebody catch that and change it. That could have saved Lillian's life. Yeah. A 40 year old woman is dead because that those assumptions are made. And that's not, she's not the only one. As you say, no. that happened. And back to Marilyn, like when um, we were in the campaign, we were trying to keep quiet so that we didn't look bad upon the party. We were in the ER and I watched, they have these like volunteer vests on and this old woman was speaking so loud and speaking down to this indigenous man 
Marilyn and I looked at each other and we knew like, this is a mm -hmm. really bad situation for her. And the only saving grace was that as a former veteran, she had this like military health card. Mm -hmm. And I honestly believe that's the only one, like she could have died. And I mm -hmm. felt like, you know, we got to keep her alive and mm -hmm. I don't want her being misused as a talking point in that way when it comes mm -hmm. to an election that's so important. Right. And it, it's just the state of racism in Alberta. It's the state of our healthcare and it's the state of racism in our healthcare that, you know, we, we are in this position and it, it's not fair when she was going through so much pain and nobody was taking it seriously because she's Marilyn North Pay again, and she's a visibly, you know, Blackfoot mm -hmm. woman. And that was like, it, it, I was, all I was thinking about was mm -hmm. Lillian the mm -hmm. whole time. Yeah. Like how, yeah. it, if we had that camera, then this so abhorrent racist who's in the ER as a volunteer. So everybody pats her on the back and thinks she's so great. She's literally speaking down to a well-dressed indigenous man that I talked to later. And like, we were just sitting to, um, outside of that area because we just knew that's how mm -hmm. we were going to be treated. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's just a, it's just one of so many things. <laughs> Please well, continue. Well, and you know, I think that's something that people have to understand. It's important to understand it. And while I was my, my two month chief <laughs> work, I had uh, reached out to Six Sika Health uh, and uh, to, to work with them to make some changes. And because of that, they did invite me out to their, their powwow in August, uh, which I was so honored to be a part of sure. in 2022. Um, and Powwows uh, are for everyone, FYI. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but to take part, it was just a wonderful experience. Uh, I'm so happy to be there. They're great um, people uh, out at yeah. Sika Health. I yeah. have nothing oh, yeah. but accolades to say about them yeah. too. And I yeah. worked with, it was Tyler White who invited me out, a wonderful guy. Um, yeah. I was actually, he was on the, the Provincial Council of the College of Physicians and Surgeons with me. Um, and um, so happy to see that, that that voice was there. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's just the fear that is engendered uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, if you, you, as an Indigenous person, you're going to face this. And you know, you're in a situation where you're scared, you're ill, you're not feeling well. I mean, regardless of the discrimination, you already feel a little, you're concerned. Why, you know, what's going wrong with me, what's happening? And so to, to encounter that additional level is, is just, it's horrific. Yeah. Uh, it, it really produces a, another level of trauma. Yeah. Uh, in, in addition to how you're feeling because of just, just your physical situation. Yeah. And so, you know, that, so some of the other wins I have to say, you know, we've had, I've had some progress. One of the things um, I was able to do with Corey, I wasn't actually representing him, but I was sort of walking with him, you might say, on his uh, journey to help, hopefully help him somewhat. Um, and one of the things we were able to have done was uh, he made a complaint uh, to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, and he, one, one of the things we were able to do was that they conducted a talking circle uh, with Corey uh, and they brought in some elders and, you know, and, and it's, they, that was their first ever, and I took part, I was so happy to take part in it. And um, it was the first uh, talking circle done by that professional regulator in its history. It may well have been the first one of any medical regulator in Alberta and perhaps in Canada, I'm not sure. Mm. But I think what it did, you know, what I experienced in that was the opportunity to talk, to speak, 
to not be challenged or to be threatened uh, and to allow some of that trauma to fade away. Yeah. And however, you know, it turns out with the College of Physicians and the complaint, I'm not going to comment on that, but I think th those are just some small gains that need to be made. Some of the changes that were made um, with CARNA, um, some, some of the changes that are made being considered by the Health Quality Council of Alberta. And also in, in my role, I've, I've been involved with Imagine Citizens, uh, which is a patient safety group here in, in Canada, in Cal based originally out of Calgary. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was invited to uh, give a, be part of a lecture series in the Precision Medicine course at the University of Calgary through the Cummings School. And I'm currently in discussion somewhat with them or potentially will be involved in, more, in a more active way, uh, advocating for uh, the Indigenous and the elderly. Mm -hmm. And of course, another group that, you know, because of who I am, uh, is the 2S LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, we've had our <laughs> issues at times with healthcare, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I think those are things that um, we've seen some some now. What unfortunately has happened, I think, and it's happening in our political climate, and this is that people like me uh, are well being taken out of the conversation for political reasons. And that sort of brings me to what happened to me as chief um, and um, what, uh, what was ignored uh, and how I was removed. Um, and again, there are some legal questions that I have. So there's some things I won't go into too much, but um, I certainly, and many people who follow the story in the media generally uh, are, uh, that I was accused of being Islamophobic and racist because of an academic book review I wrote in 2009. Sure. But, you know, many of the other elements of who I am were wiped out or erased. Um, but people are sometimes, I think, that, and that became prominent when I was terminated, <laughs> when the minister fired me, essentially, <laughs> uh, let me go. You know, uh, there's technical terms I won't get into back in uh, on September 15th of 2022 and of course I started I was cabinet approved my appointment on May 25th 2022 I started on July 14th 2022 and then two months later I was removed from the post um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that that was not the first the Islamophobia racism wasn't the first allegation against me um, and most of these allegations came from let's be frank, uh, the NDP or their allies. Mm. Um, and uh, so this is why, you know, for me, and, I, and there's another background to that, that I think needs to be, people need to understand, is that uh, my partner worked for the NDP and directly for Rachel Notley for four years, mm. a couple years as government, and then a couple years, I think it was as, as a political staffer, mm -hmm. very closely with her. He was her director Turing and Shedwing or something, <laughs> I forget the exact title, but he worked with her uh, very closely in uh, moving her around when she was doing uh, engagements here in Southern Alberta while she was premier, especially in the second half of her premiership. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is somebody I knew well, the NDP or people I knew well. Uh, Rachel has had been in my home. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I had attended Irfan Sabir's birthday party. And of course he was the MLA who uh, he's been in my home 
Uh, we had two fundraisers. I'm not a new Democrat myself, but we had my partner, of course, was working for him. We had two fundraisers for uh, Ricardo Miranda, uh, who was also one of the original ML gays, as, they're, as, <laughs> as some people like to call them. Um, and um, so we had a very close relationship with sure. the New Democrats uh, and Rachel specifically. But when I was first appointed on May 25th, um, that was when my appointment was announced. Immediately, there is a was a professor or tired professor associated with the NDP who criticized my credentials, but didn't do it by saying, "Oh, you know," he said, "Well, I was corporate and lawyer, uh, state lawyer, not qualified." Uh, and it was a, it was a very personal attack. Uh, he went back to 2011. And in 2011, I had been appointed by the Stephen Harper government to sit on the Judicial Council, uh, the Judicial Advisory Committee for the province of Alberta, which is a federal board. They, they review people who are uh, lawyers who are applying to become justices of the Court of now King's Bench, Court of Appeal. And uh, I was put on that committee. There were seven voting members plus the chair who was uh, a justice of the Court of Appeal. I was reappointed uh, in 2014. And then in 2016, my term came to an end when the Liberal government uh, rejigged the, the committee. Mm -hmm. But uh, this, this individual, a new Democrat affiliated professor, attacked me for being unqualified as in human rights, even though I had just spent three years as a part-time human rights commissioner, having drafted uh, over 40 published decisions, which could be read. Anybody could read them. So. Sure, sure. Uh, I was one of the most prolific writers of the, of the part-time commissioners, having conducted around 50 mediations. Um, and, but as part of his attack on me, he went, as I said, he went back to saying I wasn't even qualified. I was uh, uh, to be on the Judicial Advisory Committee. I'd only been a lawyer for one year. Of course, at the time, I was also 41 years old. I had a lot of life experience. And including just at law school, um, I had spent two years on our tenure and promotion committee at law school, which is specifically about promoting and looking at the credentials of people who want to become associate professors, full-time professors. I did exactly the same thing on the Judicial Advisory Committee. You look at right, you know, what they wrote, um, you can look at references, all those sorts of things, exactly the same work, but apparently I wasn't qualified. So that was actually the not first to mention time. as a gay man, like as if you you're not qualified right there. Well, Jesus. I think see that, Mister, I went to Harvard and worked for the UN. Like Jesus. Well, I think that's exactly what, what all that was suppressed. Though none of that was because there was this singular focus on one book review that I had written in 2009, and it was a book review that now since um, and the book was written by a extremely well-known uh, historian of the Middle East. Yeah. Um, now, he's controversial in some respects, but try to find somebody writing on the Middle East who isn't controversial. That's, that's the problem. It's a, you know, there's, there's, it's a controversial subject. Sure. So um, there's various schools, uh, and I'm not going to go into all that, and that's really what the article is about, was the various approaches to studying uh, Middle Eastern history and Islamic history. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, there was uh, an NDP affiliated blogger who decided to put the story out there. And this was the sort of the second attack on me, which came early July. And at that time, he, and again, I don't wanna go in too much because there's some legal issues that could come up, 
but he put this story out and the NDP responded to it. Yeah. Specifically, Irfan Sabir and accused me outright of being Islamophobic and racist and publishing hateful uh, speech. And he associated my work and what I had said with violence against uh, specifically black Muslim women in, uh, in Alberta, um, which of course, you know, find the link between an academic book review and that, it's, it's pretty hard to do, uh, you know, um, but as I said, the author- What I find the- really funny about that are two things. First of all, what a personal attack from somebody you thought was a friend, holy cow. Mm-hmm. But yeah. two, like we legitimately have published reports uh, from all sorts of decades here in Canada talking about the violence that settlers are perpetrating on Indigenous women. But magically, that seems to be a real blind spot to the very people who are able to say that about you uh, mm-hmm. and Muslim Black women. Holy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was very much, it became, that became the focus. And, you know, since that happened, since I was terminated, it was back in November, I think, the author of the book, as I said, and, you know, his credentials were, he was a professor emeritus at King's College London, uh, professor emeritus at uh, uh, Bar-Alan University in Tel Aviv. He's taught at Harvard, at, at Cambridge, at the Sorbonne, uh, appeared on numerous uh, programs. Uh, you know, he, he is, as I said, one of the top in his field. And the book was published by Yale University Press. So it wasn't just some fly-by-night racist publication, but at one point eventually, even uh, Mr. Sabir characterized the book as being Islamophobic and racist, having never read it, having not ever opened the cover of the book, um, but characterized it as that. Um, so, and that, so that attack came against me uh, early July, but again, Two things I'll say, it didn't get much, many, much coverage. There was just a couple of media reports on it, apart from these bloggers and the NDP affiliated bloggers. But the NDP, of course, were all over it. And, you know, as I've said, um, uh, Mr. Sabir put out what was a three-part uh, attack on me, uh, three tweets. And, but those were then retweeted by Rachel Notley. Rachel retweeted those. Um, by uh, Kathleen Ganley, who I have gone to dinner with, she and her husband, she knows me, uh, by Sarah Hoffman, who I had just the year earlier been talking with at the Peace Bridge uh, in Calgary uh, when they had an event there and we were discussing, and, we, and my partner and I actually helped, oddly enough, Rachel escape from or get to her car across the Peace Bridge while being uh, accosted by uh, anti-vax demonstrators. Mm-hmm. It was my partner who led the effort to get her away from that. And I walked across the bridge with her talking about the Human Rights Commission. Mm-hmm. So Rachel was very aware of, you know, she knows me. Um, and this is the thing that I think it has been so surprising to so many people. And many new Democrats have reached out to me. Um, Mark McQuaid Boyd. The former energy minister of Rachel Nolley's government, a longtime family friend to Rachel and her family, reached out to me immediately that night when these, the NDP started attacking me and saying, they don't know you, this isn't right, you know, this is not you. And she actually intervened with Rachel and Irfan Sabir to try to stop it. And they wouldn't. They yeah, pers- I, I don't know. I don't know why people don't see the hypocrisy. Like, it's one thing to have, like, actual dialogue, but I... 
like they follow me on all the Twitter mm-hmm. and I'll put out community events regularly that are happening and never get a retweet. Uh, but I see that they retweet their like, you know, supporters who are, um, you know, I think racist and misogynist, but they'll retweet them because they're, yeah, yeah, our team, our team. Like it's really, it's really party politics, like as toxic mm-hmm. as the UCP is and their supporters. Ironically, that's how exactly how I feel about the NDP, where they are so toxic in the way they go about, you know, so-called supporting their community like it, it is very specific it has to be somebody who has been an NDP for a long period of time had a membership had like I gave money I did donations mm. too but you know it, it, I don't see them advocating for Indigenous issues and um, when they were in government you know they had an opportunity to do more and they didn't mm-hmm. so it, it's um of course, I, I have to vote NDP. One, I do like my candidate, but two, it's, uh, you know, it's harm reduction. It's mm-hmm. like, what's, what's, you know, the worst of the worst, obviously the UCP, but, you know, because like they won't even do proper Indigenous education um, and, and denialism. Like they have their secret mm-hmm. little conventions that them and um, the federal conservatives are, are attending to try to be like, what are talking points we can use against the natives now? Mm-hmm. You know, they put forward the infrastructure bill anyway. So like the civil discourse means being able to critique your own party that you love and support, mm-hmm. which I yeah. do all the time with the liberals. Like everybody right. knows that yeah. I have awful things to say about some of the members as well, but you know, the policies we're putting forward are incomplete. I'd like to see mm-hmm. them quicker and, 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 and politics is so finicky. Like I see the young uh, TikTokers give me, and, and, and on Twitter too, uh, all of us liberals a hard time for talking about legalization. I'm like, oh my God, you guys. Like they're like, hey, that was so long ago. And I'm like, do you know how many freaking decades it took to get to where we're at? And arguably, I would say we need to continue working on it. We need to, you know, expunge old records. We, we have lots of work to do. But, you know, like they're already like, we're, we're going to vote for conservatives because they're new and shiny. I'm like, Pierre Polivy, he's literally the part of the crappy government that caused all the issues that we had and has brought zero solutions from then to now and this is who you're going to vote for because we're old when it comes to legalization like I just I can't wrap my head around people and their lack of understanding of you know historical issues of party politics of policies Mm -hmm. moving forward like we need to have civil discourse and and I just don't see that either provincially or federally well I think that's that's exactly the point because you know um in, in the article that was written about one of these bloggers, I had donated to the federal conservatives. Well, I was grazed in Southern Alberta and you, you do what you do, you know? And um, I came from that background. Yeah. But you can come from that background and you can say, and you can think and you can learn and you can you become a treaty partner, you know? Um, and it, it doesn't just, just being a new Democrat or being Rachel Naughton doesn't, give mean you're automatically uh, a treaty partner or you're thinking about rec- or you're doing anything for reconciliation um, you know and we can disagree on politics we can disagree on parties but I think you've exactly what I've seen is the hypocrisy and what I've seen is you know we have what a, what has surprised me 
What has heartened me in a way is the number of new Democrats who've come to me and said, this shouldn't have happened. This was wrong that this happened to you. Um, I know, as I said, that night when that first attack was going, which, I, which didn't get much media coverage. Um, again, and that was sort of the odd, I, I learned about the flow of the media as well and how a story will get legs and then it'll go away and come back for various reasons. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've had new, and this is something I've raised. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being cautious. I'm not trying to defame anybody is the way I was defamed because I know what it does. I mean, I've lost my livelihood. I'm not working now. Um, I've put, I've looked at some positions, but you know, you, you look me up on, on Google now and I've gone from being uh, somebody working at the Human Rights Commission, uh, working for uh, Indigenous and elder equity in healthcare to now the guy suing the government because I was, you, you know, it, and these, these things stick. Yeah. Uh, but the, the hypocrisy that I've seen from Rachel and from her party on these matters. And, you know, one of the other things that I'm looking, I was the first openly gay man to openly open member of the 2S LGBTQ plus community. And, you know, one of the things that I saw happen as this was going on was when that was known, when that became known and it generally became known, there was an article done by the, the journal that originally published my piece. And then of course, my lawyer from Toronto made this point that, and, it, and the response from people who were somehow presumed to be allies or who will often criticize say the UCP or conservatives for um, not for being homophobic or you know that sort of thing was essentially, well, what's that got to do with it? Well, of course, it has everything to do with it. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? I'm just going to pop in this right now. So, you know, I was one of the many co-founders of Voices here in Calgary, and we were the group that um, when the Toronto uh, Black Lives Matter movement stopped the parade in 2016 and said, there is a lot of racism in the LGBTQ2 plus community. We had like, um, you know, community gatherings here in Calgary, and that's how Voices was formed. And we call out racism within the LGBTQ2 plus community all the time because we have to, like, you know, you can't, you know, there is still white supremacy in the gay community. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for folks to say that to you shows me they sure didn't care about Black Lives Matter or any BIPOC that were talking about racism in, in the QT BIPOC community at mm -hmm. all, right? Mm -hmm. Like not my ally when I hear you say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, what it reminded me of is when you had your discussion with Marilyn mm. and she was talking about how um, her experiences and her as an Indigenous woman yep. that we know about, we should know about, yeah. that you would think the NDP would be educated about because they pretend they are, they seem to think they are. And you had, yet she was talking about being intimidated, being by a straight white man yeah. who was, who was Rachel's chief of staff. She talked about that. Yeah. And it, it's that erasure of the experience that, you, that she had which was, uh, and you know, I felt some, you know, I don't want to say it's the exact same thing, but I felt some kinship when I was being told when people, when straight white middle-aged men yeah. were saying, well, what difference does your, the fact, you know, he, you can be Islamophobic and you can be uh, gay, that's fine. Well, yes, but um, 
it was part of an effort to erase all of who I am, of what yes. I've done. Pink but washing. it's also part of an effort to erase the fact that there are experiences that you have when you're a member of the 2S LGBTQ communities. Um, they differ across the various communities. Sometimes we don't even get along with each other. We have fights with each other too. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, was a, it seemed like there was a, a, an effort. And, and one of the ND, the bloggers who's quite heavily affiliated with the NDP often, or you know, at least friendly with them, uh, actually, in, when he was responding to that being mentioned, wouldn't actually say that I was gay. He said, who I love. He used these euphemisms. Um, but I'm perfectly happy to say I'm, op I'm openly gay. That's who I am. Uh, I've been that way for a long time. <laughs> I mean, I haven't hid it from people. Um, and the fact but the erasure that of your gay status during that whole debacle is really the point, though, that that kinship you felt with um, Marilyn's indigenous voice being erased like that, that is real. So, mm -hmm. and I talk about oppression dynamics regularly, and that is an oppression dynamic, of course, that straight cis people don't get, don't see, and don't see it on purpose mm -hmm. so that they can continue to, you know, in it's a shitty political point scoring. And, mm -hmm. and, and that is the problem with civil discourse today. It's that they would rather have a win at the expense of the entire community. And a lot of folks in that community would be like, well, we'll look the other way this one time because we hate the UCP. And it's like, that's the problem with civil discourse. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be all this or all this. It's like, well, they're right on this, but they're wrong on this. They're right on this, but they're wrong on this. So mm -hmm. like, I, I get where you're coming from. And I, I just, I'm kind of re-emphasizing it to our listeners so that they understand that just because we criticize doesn't mean we're all against, but conversely, why can't you listen to our voice and without erasing the reality and, and build on it? Like, that's what good policy is. You're a policy mm -hmm. guy. Like, don't we yeah. all want good policy? Like, why think, on earth yeah. would you erase people's yeah. voices in, yeah. in order to strengthen a policy? Like, that's the mentality, mm -hmm. hey? Well, yeah, and, and you know, what, um, what, what people didn't realize and because there's a lot behind the scenes that I couldn't talk about because when you are in a position like chief of it and you're, I, I was a chief of a tribunal mm -hmm. so I have to always kind of maintain a certain objectivity neutrality and you don't generally defend yourself publicly and that's similar to any judge or justice they generally just don't speak out in their own defense including on things that they've done in the past that's that's just not done sure so I didn't do it I didn't defend myself um and of course well, I made a statement, uh, which, um, you know, it was as much as I, I was being encouraged, shall we say, to make a statement by a, by a specific group. Um, but, you know, the whole issue of what happened with me being open, the first openly gay chief of the Human Rights Commission is that you have to understand the whole purpose of the Alberta Human Rights Act is to, there's twofold purpose. One is uh, to uh, deal with uh, acts of discrimination and uh, to compensate ultimately people who have been discriminated against yeah. based upon protected grounds. And you can't discriminate on a bunch of grounds, one of them being sexual orientation. So I belong to what is sometimes called an equity seeking group. The other thing is that it's to promote equality. 
And of course, how do you promote that? One of the ways of promoting equality, which I worked to do while I was in my short term as chief, was to bring more people forward who are commissioners uh, who, and as chief who reflect these communities. Um, and I have to say, while I was chief, and of course it's this point was made by the government, but while I was chief, five bi members of BIPOC communities were added to uh, as commissioners, two of whom I personally uh, sought out and brought in. Mm -hmm. And it does matter. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of the, the discourse. That's part of what we're looking for here. Um, and yet that was wiped out for me. And again, you know, I'm, I'm the chief of the commission. So I have to be, you know, I have to understand I'm not the one who's we're supposed to be worried about, but still, you know, as somebody who is belongs to an equity seeking group, yep. part of what my work was to promote, to help be the face to people who would make complaints, who would be involved in mediations. Um, and, you know, uh, it often happened that being a mediator, if you can reflect to somebody that, yeah, I've, you know, I'm part of your community, what these, the 2SLGBTQ plus communities, that helps. It relaxes them. It makes them feel they're being heard, which is often a big part of mediation. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I was facing through this and the, the dismissal of this was that the organization, which I'm not going to mention right now, but there was an organization that was very, became very aggressive against me and who I had met with and a leader of that organization whom I had met with, who has himself appeared with New Democrat candidates <laughs> uh, in Ontario. Uh, it was discovered that he had made comments equating homosexuality to things like adultery. So I, or to, to producing alcohol, which of course I understand there's a certain context there from the Muslim religion, but you know, this is, these people were demanding apologies of me, but have themselves made these comments mm -hmm. and nobody was calling that out. Nobody was raising a voice about that. Um, at least officially, certainly not Rachel, not the NDP. Yeah, um, certainly not Quebec. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it was it was just uh, well, I, oddly enough, I've had more. I've had supporters from Quebec reach out to me, so Quebec has actually been one of my best supporters of this. Um, so you never know where it's going to come from, and you have to be open to that. You have to be open to listening, to hearing, uh, and to talking, and to dialoguing. And that's why I think, um, you know, um, why it's, I'm so happy to be here. Um, and so that's, yeah, that my story really is one of, I think, where there was um, misconstrual, purposeful misconstrual yeah. of the work I had done in the past, erasing the work I've done in the past, erasing who I am, erasing what should have been a celebration for Alberta to have yeah. the first openly open member of the 2SLGBTQ plus communities uh, wiped out and done by people who especially in the New Democratic Party and by Rachel, who retweeted these comments about me, yeah. who, who know us, who, who worked with us, who, I mean, I, you know, I've never said, I, the NDP knew I was not a New Democrat. That was not, there's no question about that. But I was never hostile to them. You know, like, as I said, I had them in my home. Uh, yeah. I've written, I wrote in the, the Premier's Suburban with Rachel Notley. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's not as though she didn't know me or accept me. I was, she, she didn't, she reject me because of who I was um, at the time until it became politically useful to do so. Yeah. And that's it. Like those are cheap political 
uh, points in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah. and that's why I, I get really upset about it. Normally I would never have anybody who had any affiliation with Harper or Chandro on my podcast, but clearly we have, you know, another issue of, you know, we need to have political discourse. We need to mm -hmm. have a real conversation about, you know, and in my opinion, it's pinkwashing. I tried to mm -hmm. say it a little earlier, but that bigger picture that, uh, you know, on one hand, you'll have the government try to say, no, we're, we're not, we're not anti-queer, but then they'll let you go and never really properly celebrate you to begin with, frankly. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. So to no, me, I mean, it wasn't, hard. that was, it was not put forward. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, if there was concern from the NDP about this book review that was supposedly so horrific, which the author of the book has actually said in his statement, um, he said, there's nothing about it that's Islam. He said, it's actually no fun to quote him. It's no fundamentally different from any other book review on this book. Yeah. What's the, he, and he said, he was taken aback to learn that I was fired over writing a book review. Yeah. Which of course in itself brings up a whole issue of academics. Do, is this what we want? You know, this is, he, the author said, this is part of academic, normal part of academic work is to write books. They're, they go, those books are peer reviewed before they're published. They're reviewed by editors. Yeah. So as he, as he mentioned as well in his statement that anything that would be remotely sounding Islamophobic would have been taken out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it became so easy though. Well, as I said, Rachel could have contacted me. She could have phoned me. She's got my partner's personal phone. She could have I, asked, it, you know, she could have said, look, what is this about? Just explain to me and let's celebrate the fact that somebody we know and somebody who is for the first a uh, member of this particular equity seeking group is now going to be chief. And uh, you know, you look at Nova Scotia, I believe right now has the chief there is, uh, is uh, openly gay man uh, living with a partner. And that's celebrated on, on their website. And you know, again, as you said, that was, that was never celebrated. I mean, and that speaks to something, you know, that it was more, we were more interested in attacking me for something that was an academic exercise than celebrating the actual work I was doing and who I was doing. So it was, it was very much performative. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see. And that's what I'm hearing from so many people who from the NDP who've reached out to me, including people who I've got to say, I mean, there's, you know, Rachel has, has a certain amount of support among female voters. Um, but what I'm hearing, and I know that they have currently an investigation of their party going on is the, women who were sexually harassed and bullied by who were staffers in the NDP government by people in the NDP government mm -hmm. and that's being investigated now and they've come to me and they've said this has happened to us oh yeah um, no it happened to happy. the disabilities community like I that was open um it happened like the presidents all spoke out um and I personally know indigenous people that were with the NDP that left obviously their story to tell you know so mm -hmm. it, it's just like they have this long history of being really crappy, crappy to their supporters to their support. no mm -hmm. question yeah yeah and I I you know that that's why I found it when Rachel there was a an incident that occurred recently where Nigel Hannaford is from the Western Standard uh, again you know like them or not he asked her a question about uh, why they wouldn't take questions from him <laughs> and they are accredited journalists apparently you know no, um, they're not. And, not from my opinion, uh, Corey. Well, <laughs> or from yeah, Colin, sorry I mean, about that. But that's not from my just, opinion. He he. Yeah, they no, really have screwed is, this up. So 
yeah formally i guess this is what they i mean i have never looked it up i'm it's not never been in my wheelhouse to be concerned about them sure but um you know what was odd was to her to hear her say then well we're not gonna take questions from you because you made homophobic comments or something and yeah. Well, Rachel, you're not exactly being, a, you weren't an ally with me and you weren't, a, I mean, and realistically, yeah. you know. And that is of, a fair point. And that is a totally yeah. fair point. Like exactly. if you're going to use that terminology, I mean, I remember the sexism and that should be enough, but the fact that they're foreign uh, funded, that should be enough for everybody to discount them. But like mm -hmm. out of all the things to attack him on, if they're going to use homophobia, then let's talk about your story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and here, there's something I would like to say, and this is a, this is kind of a personal thing for me mm -hmm. um it's something that did touch me deeply um and i think it, it just goes to speak to um why i'm so disappointed with rachel sure. and the ndp and what they did to me and to my partner because this was i think was back in around 2015 maybe 16 um, um my partner was at a church on a sunday and he uh he, a woman walked in to the, you know, they were, the church service was over. They were doing their coffee and everything. And um, a woman walked in and she was distressed. And so she spoke to uh, somebody there and they brought her over to my partner. And I think it must've been 2006, well, it could be 15. Anyhow, he was working, people knew he worked uh, for the government and was working at McDougal Center and with, with the NDP. And the woman related her story. And her story was one about her son. And her son uh, was a young man, a Muslim man, a gay man, living in the Middle East. I won't say which countries he was in, but he was working. He, he was a national of one country and live in the Middle East and live and working in another. And um, again, because I don't want to use the names him. or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he, in the one country where he was working, it was mandated that uh, foreign nationals would be subjected to periodic blood tests and HIV tests. And the fellow had uh, only recently sort of discovered his new gay life, <laughs> um, given, you know, which isn't surprising given some of the concerns he was facing. Um, and sadly, he learned from these tests that he was HIV positive mm. and he was fired. Uh, in, in the country he was in, had to leave, went back to his, the other country where he was a national. His father was living there. His mother was already in Calgary. But as it developed, um, there, he was certainly becoming concerned before his actual life. Um, yeah. he, was, he, he was being facing threats of death from family members, uh, finding out about his status. So um, my partner and I sort of like, well, we got to do something. We got to get on this. So my partner and I sort of, we jumped into gear. Um, and he asked me, my partner, what can we do? What, you know? And I said, well, he's got to get asylum status. He's got to get here to Canada where his mother is. We got to help him. And, um, so we did, I contacted, uh, an employment lawyer or an immigration lawyer who is also a fairly well-known new Democrat. <laughs> um, and got her on board um, and we arranged, my partner was speaking with him. I've never speak to this individual. I've never spoke, we've kind of kept a distance sure. to protect him because yeah. you know, he was facing death. death over who he was. Yeah. Uh, a gay Muslim man with HIV, he was facing death over that. 
And th that's, that's, those are the real stories that people experience. Yeah. And we got him here, he flew over here. The lawyer met him at the uh, airport. She got the asylum uh, process going and he's here, he's in Calgary. Um, and my partner got, got <laughs> well, my partner got him uh, connected with End of the Rainbow. And at one point, though, uh, my partner said to Rachel, "Well, you should go there. Let's take you there." And she went. He took her there. He arranged the the uh, trip there as her as working for her and touring children. And she met this individual, which I've never met. You know, I, I haven't. I didn't take pay for this. I have. You know, I I did this pro bono. Yeah, well, he's your and, bro. At the end of the day, yeah. like that, I always talk about my sisters and my brothers because, you know, our Indigenous experience is solidarity, just as your mm -hmm. experience with him is a solidarity issue. Like, it, he's your bro. Just right. <laughs> but he's, you know, it's a solidarity experience because yep. um, it's a solidarity experience because of uh, his sexual orientation, but also because he was Muslim. Because this is something I, I mean, I was painted as somebody who was Islamophobic, yet. Why are you I bringing can, in a Muslim? Right. Yeah. You know, why was I helping this man who's facing death? Sure. You know, and this is like you when we started this conversation, you mentioned that we've talked a lot. We're talking a lot about death, but that's what people are facing. This is the reality for people like him, uh, for indigenous women who go into health, who are treated the way Lillian was in healthcare. This is what people face. This is more serious than political posturing. Right. Or making these are our lives attacking people on Twitter. Like these yeah. are our lives, like stupid political talking points versus our lives. Mm -hmm. And now you have a really accomplished gay man who could be doing a million great things for Alberta and isn't because yeah. of all of this ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing about that story is that after, as Rachel and my partner were walking back to the suburban to get in, he told her the story of what we had done. Mm -hmm. Rachel knew what I had done for this man. She knew what my partner had done. And yet she and the NDP, Rachel's NDP, attacked us. Yeah. Um, and that to me speaks so much to the hypocrisy that I've seen. And is this, you know, I, I, is this really what we want? Is this the type of person with an election <laughs> looming that we want? Um, and in, in the end, you know, I would I would address this maybe directly to Rachel. Rachel, just just apologize to us. Yeah. Make a public apology at least. You know, you've seen the statement from the author of the book. Um, just at least apologize on behalf of your party for what you did. Mm. You know, but will you do that? Will that? Will that? And will? But as you know, Michelle, apologies are hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. Uh... It's so funny because like everyone makes fun of Justin for doing them all the time, but it is the mm -hmm. right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a lot of respect for that. So every time I see somebody, you know, they're really being misogynistic, right? Like uh, you can't apologize. And it's like, you know, that's part of the current culture, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I just, it's, it's so wrong. I can't even, but we're here. So I'm glad you got to tell your story here and I, I'm honored to be the first to be able to air it. So thank you. And uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I didn't realize how quick the time went by. <laughs> I think we could have talked for another hour. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, that would well, yeah. any time too. Yeah, so that'd be great. You, I, would, yeah, I would love yeah. to come back, you know, and yeah. talk more about where things are at. Sure. Um, no, I just, I want to say thank you so much um, for having me. 
I'm so honored to be in this space uh, to talk to you, uh, to talk to a, an Indigenous woman uh, about this. I think there is, and I, I really like the fact you're using the word solidarity because there's, you know, some people will talk about their identity and they can make it very subjective, but it has to be about, you know, it's more about solidarity with people who, uh, you know, you, you, we've been there and you, you, you know what it's like. Um, and as I said, this was, you know, it, what are we taking seriously here? Are we taking seriously the work that people are doing to actually save lives or are we gonna take the political uh, you know, pandering and preening seriously? Amen. And I hope um, my call to Albertans is please take it serious. <laughs> please take those things seriously. Um, and there's, you know, just do some small things. Yeah. Do some small things like helping somebody come to this country who is facing death or helping uh, change just a, what happens in emergency rooms in this province to ensure that what happened to Lillian doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. Just do there's small things. You don't need to do a lot, but yeah. um, you know. I agreed. Thank you so much for for being so open and honest, Colin. And again, you're welcome back anytime. And that's Colin with two L's. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> I was uh, originally an Elliot, and that's like a bone of my bane is when people misspell Elliot the way we had did it with two L's and two T's. So <laughs> solidarity. There you go. There you are. <laughs> Double letters. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so funny. All right. Thanks so much, Colin. I'm going to okay. uh, give some resources. And if there's some things that you think of, don't hesitate to chime in. You're more than welcome to as my guest. Okay. So folks, um, the time that this is going to air, obviously, there's about to be an election. And that's going to be all the talk. It's all the talk beforehand. We're not even there. It's like April 24th. And it's like, ugh, I just get this over with. Jesus. So I hope you're all voting. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I know we're in big trouble in, in Alberta with our choices, that's for sure. I really wish the Alberta party would have been something or the, like in my case, the Alberta Liberal Party, you know, we could have had better structure in place, but we just didn't. So, you know, I'm just gonna say go vote or if you're a conservative, stay home. I guess that tells you who I'm thinking should win, but I'd like to see obviously accountability once they get in government and not, you know, and with proper discourse, I hope that was a big takeaway for folks listening. Anyway, our next uh, book club will be Five Little Indians by Michelle Good. I have heard nothing but positive things about this book. So if you've read this book, don't hesitate to come in and listen to it. Join our conversation. Uh, then we'll be doing the uh, pages 219 to 349 of the MMIW report in July. Our Voice of Fire by Brandy Morin, that's gonna be next. And then we're gonna talk about the Alberta government's 113 Pathways to Justice, um, which will be interesting because by then there'll be a few months under the belt of the new government. So there better be some damn changes and it'll be the start of September. So that'll be like when everybody's getting their new year all wrapped up anyway. Um, and as always, I, I named the other ones as well. So, you know, I hope you're a book club joiner. Uh, the Reconciliation Action Group, we had a meeting last night. I hope anybody listening, if you're in Canada, 
nationally, you are a part of some sort of reconciliation committee doing the work and listening with Indigenous voices at the centre. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and cultural safety training and cultural first aid and all of them. So I'd like to say thank you to authors uh, Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca and their piece on what is Indigenous cultural safety and why you should care about it. You know, um, lots of people are writing articles, so please support Indigenous work like that as a part of your reconciliation and seller understanding. I'm just lucky to repeat and highlight it here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized uh, folks experience through the structure of oppression imposed on these lands. RacialEquityTools.orgs has resource files, and a good one is What is Internalized Racism by Donna Bevins. They're actually doing some crowdfunding sourcing. So if you're a person that's like, damn, that native Calgarian, I'm not giving her my money, give, give it to RacialEquityTools.org because they're a great organization and they could really use funding as well as along with uh, Walls Down Collective here in Calgary. I could go on about great organizations to donate to. Um, AFSC.org, that's American Friends Service Committee. They have tons of resources for what to do for bystander intervention when you see somebody doing something. We talked a little bit about bystander trauma and I would argue that all of us have that. Um, like I kind of talked a bit about it when witnessing how this other Indigenous man was treated in the ER uh, with Marilyn. Like it was just, blah, blah. anyway. These are things that help me heal. So I hope they help you heal too. Uh, anyone who follows me on social media, I've been posting the anti-racism organization lead for the city of Calgary, a YouTube channel. It's free. It's open to everybody uh, giving the internal ARAC committee a presentation on the journey of becoming an anti-racism leader. So you all can learn how to be anti-racist too. And if you won't listen to this, to this person, maybe you'll listen to a black man who has a DR in front of him. Maybe, hopefully. Uh, Indigenous people have been talking about our issues, sharing our reports and traumas commissions and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms if they don't recognize marginalized with their budget with gender equity plus. If they're cutting violence prevention programs, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, freaking libraries, what is going on in the States? Oh my God, I know it's coming here. So be careful, folks. Gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disability. Know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. I think at this point, we've, I've made it very clear. They all do. Just vote for someone who's doing it less. I demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendation of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Provincially, in Alberta, the Kenny government created 113 pathways to justice, so all you blue voters should be holding your blue MLAs to account on it. Uh, the new Premier's Council with Daniel Smith, uh, they also said they were going to work on it. And I seen like it, crickets. Holy. Municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report. Holy. So the city just announced they're going to devote a whole single day to reconciliation. Like it is 2023. 
this is seven years after it had been released. They're not working on manual daily freaking education. No, they're like, I think we're going to acknowledge indigenous people, acknowledge, like, exist once a year. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, health, justice, like everything, with multiple reports that say everything or demand these things. Anyway, so demand this change from all of your um, candidates showing up at your doors. And if they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, health centers, everything. Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies because there's so much info out there. Stephanie Harp and I had an emergency podcast in the hopes we could reach our allies to write about the homeless crisis that we were facing as long with the... Um, drug poisoning issue you can sign up at aboriginalalert.ca oh my god i should have you back on colin just to talk about this stupid drug crisis and the insanity that i am seeing from the alberta government we're just gonna force people oh my god it's like hey because you know residential school 2.0 and child welfare 2.0 that wasn't good enough we're just absolutely going to put them in drug treatment centers i.e jail anyway really upset about that demand urgent action to protect the lives of Indigenous women, girls, two-spirit, and gender-diverse people experiencing homelessness, you can go to womenshomelessness.ca on this call to action that we asked you all to write about at Christmas, and none of you let me know whether you did or didn't. Anyway, if you are using substances, please do not use alone. Dear Canadians, all Canadians should have a naloxone kit. If you are a status First Nation in Alberta, you have the right to begin a relationship with your pharmacist to get a Narcan a day. We should have it everywhere. This is like standard first aid now. Everyone needs to have it. So I have Narcan. Anyway, don't use alone if you are using. Uh, Try to have a friend who has the kits with you. There is a new drug that's on the market that apparently Narcan or Naloxone aren't helping, but until until then just just keep using it just get used to using it you can also call the national overdose response service at 888-688-NORS for support and there's a brave and doors app as well that you can also use to help you manage if you are using alone please don't use alone if you are experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also go to hopeforwellness.ca where they have a little text box. And um, right now we're in the middle of a, of a strike. And apparently even with the strike, that will still be working. So if more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is a national toll-free 24-7 crisis support line. For non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area and usually a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566, or you can text at 45645. So you can go to crisisservicescanada.ca for even more. Uh, you can also go to ssisa.ca if it's more related to 60 Scoop. Uh, Indian Residential School Survivors and Family Helpline at 866-925. 
1-800-668-4419, Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868, Native Youth Crisis Hotline, 877-209-1266. And now the next ones are for uh, 2SLGBTQ2+. So lifevoice.ca, thank you, Trevor Project, for all of your supports. Uh, for the Trans Lifeline, you can call 877-330-6366. I can't imagine how you are feeling right now. Know we love you. Know that we see that you're under attack, but we will fight this fight. Uh, the Trevor Project for the youth, 866-844-7386 as well. And violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation faces it. This is self-care, how I take my power back. Um, we talked a little earlier off air about how harmful media can be. So this is why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone policing, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions as many people don't want to hear my opinion sure want to tell me theirs even though they know nothing about us anyway many of us share a lot of this information please follow indigenous voices learn about being trauma-informed people like me are dealing with internalized racism and gatekeeping and folks that survive off the status quo people who are in their trauma even Colin and I I mean at the end of the day there was a lot of mistrust not for any other reason than we both come from really um, marginalized positions. So anyway, if you don't understand what I'm talking about when it comes to being trauma-informed, this is the work you need to do. Learn about oppression dynamics. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for uh, racially equity-seeking groups, uh, for folks with disabilities, uh, QT, BIPOC, all of us. So I wanted to do say, I want to say thank you to my ancestors, to my mom and my granny of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her. I am a second generation Calgarian. Uh, to my husband, big Buffalo rock man. I'm so honored that you do this work every day, that you produce and edit the show, but more so that you're my husband, uh, my childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the red road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily, and we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I just hope my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd just love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And again, thank you, folks. I uh, haven't gone yet to Ottawa, but I know at the time that this will air, I'll have been back. So I just wanted to say thank you that um, for all the folks who made a one-time donation to help me get there. Thank you so much. It's it's so humbling. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, are you being my dish? So thank you folks for listening.